Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. I uh, want to welcome you here, both here in our worship center, over in the Ridge, joining us now. Um, <laughs> a couple of things. First of all, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here as well. And I uh, want to welcome you if it's your very first time. Uh, we don't have you do anything embarrassing, like raise your hand or something. Um, but we will get to know you eventually. And we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, secondly, uh, I want to let you know that uh, right after the service, I'm taking off. We're, we're going on a trip to Israel. And so... Um, we're taking another uh, group, about 53 people, to, uh, to Israel today. Um, and so uh, I'm sharing that with you for a couple reasons. Uh, the number one reason is so you can follow along with us. So there's three different ways. They're all in the back of your program, but there's small print, so you may not catch it all. Uh, one way is uh, we go with a tour group called GTI. And if you go to their website, you can just uh, look up, uh, you say, follow a trip, and our Rocky Peak trip will come up. And you just put in your email, and every day um, you will get an email that's kind of our blog of the day with pictures and stuff just come automatically. That's way number one. Uh, way number two is that I will make a lot of videos while we're there. I like to take you with me. And so, like, I'm planning Tuesday morning to do one at a place called Getzer, uh, which was one of Solomon's big um, uh, chariot cities. Like, uh, think of it like a tank city. It was a military fortress. And uh, they've got cool standing stones there. Uh, it was probably a pagan altar area and be an interesting time. So, um, you know, so I'll be shooting videos as we go. And so if you go to our YouTube channel and you subscribe to that, that'll automatically come to you. The third thing is if you're an Instagram person, we will have our own hashtag, uh, not for the church one, but just for this trip. And so you'll see all of our pictures that are going up there, descriptions and all. And so that hashtag's on the back in your program as well. So there's three different ways to follow. They all supplement each other. Not really, they're kind of three different ways. Um, so if you want to do all three, that'd be the best. You'll get the, kind of the, the, uh, everything that's going on with us. So we're excited. You know, it's just interesting. Um, years ago, we felt very specifically called to start going to Israel. You know, I was here for nine years. And people would ask me all the time, are you ever going to go to Israel? And I, I'd always say, you know, we're like, listen and follow. It's what we do, right? So I'd say, listen, I'd love to go to Israel. I've been a couple times to that point, but I'd led a trip once from my other church. But um, I just don't feel called, you know? And it's like, if that time ever comes, we'll do it. And so, uh, you know, it was back about, you know, five years ago, whenever it was, just out of the blue. So I got what, I was at Starbucks one day, just boom, you know, it's time to go. And so uh, we started doing it. I thought we'd do it for a couple of years and that would exhaust the need. And then, you know, that's great, you know. Um, and so it's not exhausting the need. We, you know, we always keep our trips to one bus because we want to have that more intimate experience. So there's about 50 people, 55 people. And so uh, next year, we haven't even announced the dates yet. We have like 75 people that have uh, contacted us. They want to go. Uh, the next year, 2020, we booked back-to-back -back trips. I'm going to stay over there and just do tri two trips in a row to kind of meet that need. And uh, we've already got a ton of people signing up for that. And so not really sure where it's going, but it's become an important part of our church. Uh, it's kind of this, uh, I always describe it to people that we're not going, it's not a tour. It's like we're going to pursue God. And we're going to pursue him. I can think of it, it's like a weekend retreat, like a men's retreat. We're, we're going to Israel to have a retreat. And we're going to worship, and we're going to seek Jesus, and we're going we're to go to the places where this whole epic story began. And uh, it's amazing how God has met us in a very supernatural way. And so, uh, you know, it's like his ways are always better than ours, right? It's like for nine years we did nothing, and then boom, when the time was right, uh, God's used this thing to really transform lives, which is what it's all about. And that's what I used to tell people. It's like, well, I don't know where, like I'd love to go to Israel, but I don't know where it fits in our vision. And uh, God has just moved in such a powerful way that 
uh, just meeting people really profoundly over there. And so, um, anyway, be praying for us. Uh, next week, Dre will continue this series we're on. So the, the lessons that you're getting out there today uh, uh, for the Pursuing God Journal are weeks four, five, and six. They're all on the Word of God and uh, how to study the Word on your own. And that's uh, gonna be a great thing for us. So Dre will continue that on uh, next weekend. So it'd be important uh, that you're here for that, all right? So we're gonna go into our time of teaching right now. Inside the program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week. And uh, so if you guys are ready, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah, I'm looking forward to you guys. I'm just looking forward to this. All right, let's pray. God, I'm just excited to be here and so thankful for what you're doing at our church and the way you're moving and the way you're calling and drawing us and changing and shaping. And so we just pray, Lord, like with Moses, we say, Lord, we don't want to go one step without you, without your presence. We don't want to go. And so we pray that you'd come and meet us in a powerful way as we listen and follow this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Are you ready for a story? All right, so they, <laughs> we're going to go back to 1987. And, uh, and the scene is a beautiful, high-end ballroom in a very fancy hotel on the island of Manhattan in New York. And the room is packed. It's packed with Wall Street investors and analysts. And the reason they're there is that one of the largest and oldest companies in America is about to announce the, the uh, introduce a new CEO. And uh, these investors are there, they're representing millions and millions of dollars of investment. And they're very nervous because this company that's been a really standout uh, high stock performer over the years, the last year they've made some bad decisions and it's really hit the company hard. And so when the company announced they're hiring a new CEO, they are very excited about that. But then when they heard who he was, not so excited. And so most of them had never heard of him. Those who had were not impressed. He had worked for the government. And uh, if you're in business, that's not a good thing. And so, uh, so they, when the, this company announced that they're gonna be introduced to the new CEO, these top investors and analysts, they all requested an invitation. They wanted to come meet this new CEO, hear his big time vision, and hope it's better than it sounded. And so when it came time, a little before noon that day, for him to take the stage, he bounced up the steps. He looked, he looked like total CEO, 51 years old, gray pinstripe suit, uh, red powered tie, ramrod erect uh, military posture. The guy looks like he's got it going on. He looks CEO. And so they're expecting like this big CEO talk, right? This vision for the company, raising uh, profits, cutting uh, expenses, government intervention, red tape, blah, blah, blah. And they're expecting that and he does none of that. But when he opens his mouth and begins to share his vision for the future, they start dropping their jaws. They are not excited about this vision. It's getting more depressing as it's going on. And by the time he's, uh, he's done, they're rushing for the doors. One guy's literally jogging for the door to talk, get to his top 20 clients to tell them, dump this stock as soon as possible before everyone else dumps it and the price plummets. He will later say, it was the worst financial counsel I gave my clients my entire career. Well, today, we are continuing our journey and pursuing God one-on-one. -on -one. If you're brand new, so thankful you're here. Uh, exciting time in Rocky Peak. God's on the move, and we're just excited you're here with us. So what we've seen in this series is we often talk about here at Rocky Peak is that God has an epic vision for our lives, no exaggeration. 
Uh, it's not just for our lives, it's for all of creation. And that's on every page of the New Testament. And so uh, what we've seen that there's many ways to tell this story, this epic story. And uh, one of the ways that I've introduced in this series is I've called it the story of the presence. That we were designed as a race to live in the presence of God. Uh, We lost that and we rebelled against our creator. And so the story is how God has been pursuing us throughout history through Abraham, through the nation of Israel, through the prophets, through Messiah, through the coming of the spirit to restore us to the presence of God. So the story that starts in Genesis, walking with God in the presence in the garden, ends in Revelation with us living, dwelling with God forever in the new city. And so uh, what we've seen in this series is that this is a two-way pursuit, that God is pursuing us in spite of our rebellion God has pursued us as a race, and yet he calls us to pursue him. We've looked in particular at the story of Jesus, the woman at the well, where he said, God is looking, he's searching for worshipers who want to know him in the spirit and in truth, as he really is. And so the question for us is, will we pursue? And so last week we we talked about, there's many ways for us to pursue God in our life, and three of the most important We talked about pursuing him in large group gatherings like here, the weekends. We come together to experience God in worship, to open his word, to hear his voice through the word. We talked about pursuing him in small groups. Remember, we compare this to like a three-legged stool. So first leg is the, is the, the uh, large group experience. You have a small group experience. Uh, you, you gather in our life groups and we roll up our sleeves. We share our stories. What are we learning? What are you learning? How can we grow together? Second leg. But we said that there's a third leg to the stool and this is the one that most often is neglected and this is pursuing God one-on-one, what we call developing a regular rhythm of relationship in our weeks, uh, in our days, where we're spending time one-on-one pursuing God, which is really the key to our personal relationship. And so uh, today we want to continue that journey. And the name, uh, I've called this message, uh, Creating a Rhythm. And so the question is, how do we create this rhythm? If it's so important, how do we create this rhythm in our life? And so there in your note sheet, You have a section by that title, and I want to get at this. I've got three very simple principles, simple but, as you can see, profound. Um, And so let's jump in. So number one, the first first principle, this is what we've talked about before, but we need to come back to it, lay the foundation for today, is that transformation requires training. Okay, so what we've seen is that God has an epic vision for our life, as we've talked about this last year. If you had to crystallize, what is that vision for our life? One word, give me one word. I would use the word personally, transformation. That when a person comes to Jesus, the idea is not just that we're forgiven and wait till Jesus comes back, we go to heaven. The idea is that we enter into a supernatural process where we're being changed from the inside out by the power of his spirit so that we become like our creator again. And so uh, often when it comes to this process of transformation, we often tend to assume that it's automatic. You come to Jesus, you walk the aisle, you raise your hand, you pray the prayer, the Holy Spirit comes in your life and you just kind of start growing and uh, it's just sort of automatic. Maybe you go to church, maybe you join a life group, maybe you serve someplace, but it's pretty much kind of automatic. But what we're gonna see today is that this process is not automatic. That, it, that in order to be transformed, to live an epic life, we have to be intentional, we have to pursue it, we have to pursue God, we have to train for it. So this week in our Pursuing God journal, <coughs> we, uh, I introduced a verse from 1 Timothy 4, 
where Paul is uh, coming alongside of this younger colleague of his uh, that he's mentoring uh, on, on his personal transformation journey. And so he says in 1 Timothy 4, he says, Timothy, he says, train yourself to be what? Okay, train yourself to be godly. So he says godliness is not just going to happen. You have to train yourself. And he's gonna use an athletic metaphor. So he says train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. So there's value in working out, eating right. There's some value. He says, but it's kind of limited. But godliness being transformed to be like Jesus, that has value for everything. And that impacts every area of your life holding promise both for the present life and the life to come, right? So he's using athletic imagery. And he says uh, that if you want to become godly, you want to be transformed, you have to train for it like an athlete. Now, in the ancient world, sports were a really big deal. I I realize they're not in our culture, but in the ancient time, (laughs) uh, they're really big. And so things like the Olympic Games or, or like similar type of games, uh, were very popular, but in order to participate, you had to train, uh, you had to qualify, you had to prove that you had been in training uh, in order to participate, just much like ours today. <laughs> and so Paul is comparing the way an athlete who is training for competition, he's, how that is how we grow. That as, as followers, of, we have to train for, for this uh, like an athlete. Now, This again, like I said, is kind of uh, foreign to many of us. We tend to assume like, well, it'll just happen. I just kind of go to church and it just happened. But we'll see in the New Testament that it's it's more complex than that. Um, And there's many passages in the New Testament that talk about this, but I wanna look at one of my favorite. It's in Philippians chapter two. Now just quick sidebar here. Quick sidebar um, that as we move into weeks four, five, and six of our Pursuing God study, we're gonna spend three weeks on the word. Then we'll speak, uh, weeks seven, eight, and nine will be on prayer, right? Prayer is, is listening, prayer is partnership, prayer is relationship. So, um, and so in that, well, three weeks, and when we go into those four weeks on, on the word, we're actually gonna roll up our sleeves in our life groups and our personal study, and we're gonna like practice studying the word. And so what we're gonna, we're gonna be using the book of Philippians as a case study to do this. And so I just mentioned that because this is in Philippians, we'll be getting there in a couple weeks. But this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Uh, honestly, it could be like a life verse for me. It would be one of those candidates. It was a verse that God used super powerfully in my life when I was a young man, which was really a long time ago. And so anyway, let's jump in. So he says, my dear friends, you, as you've always what? You've always obeyed. So, Uh, Paul rarely says that to a church. This is a good church. This is a church, they love Jesus, they're used to listening and following, so in the same way he's always obeyed, I want you to continue to what? What's he say, continue to what? Work out out your Okay, that sounds like training, doesn't it? We're gonna, what do you do when you train? You work out. You need to work out your salvation. Now catch this, he does not say work for your salvation. Salvation's a gift, you can't earn that. He says you need to work out your salvation. We'll talk more about what that means in just a minute. And he says uh, you need to do that with fear and trembling because it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to act, in order to fulfill his good purpose. So three things, I wanna unpack that. Three things I want you to note about that passage. Number one, I want you to notice God has a purpose, right? 
Notice when you came to Jesus, he has a purpose for your life. So we often talk about this epic vision. This is just another way Paul talks about it. Uh, Ephesians 1, he uses the same language, the purpose, um, as he describes this epic vision. So uh, when you come to Jesus, God has a vision for your life, this epic vision we often talk, he's got a purpose. That's the number of things. Number two, I want you to notice that God is actively working in your life right now to achieve that purpose. Uh, notice what he says there. Uh, about halfway through, he says, uh, for it is God who works in you. And in the Greek, it's a present tense. It could be translated, he's working in you. It's ongoing, it's not like he, not like past, like he did it, but he's doing it now. He's working in you <laughs> both to will and to act. So God's at work. So when you come to Jesus, in fact, in Philippians chapter one and verse six, the very first chapter, he said that uh, the God who began a good work in you when you came to Christ, he will continue it until the day Jesus comes back. So the moment you came to Jesus, you stepped into a supernatural relationship with God. The Holy Spirit came in your life. And from that point on, God has been working in you. Now I want you to think about that. Sitting right here in this room, God has an agenda for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And he's actively working present tense as you sit here right here Right now, God is working in your life. And the question is, well, what is he doing? Well, Paul says he's doing two things. He's working to do two things, to will and to act. So will deals with our desires. Do you remember last week we talked about Jeremiah 31? It's really weird to me. It seems like four years ago. But last week, Jeremiah 31 is a bit a long week. That is why. But uh, Jeremiah 31 said that there would come a day when it was a new covenant. God would write his law in our hearts. You remember that? He would change. And so that's what Paul's talking about, that God's at work in you to put his will, his desires into you. Like when you came to Jesus, did you notice your desires began to change? Did you notice you used to, what you used to want and now you have new things you want and things you want, and like there's something. So when you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins working at you at the, ma- at the level of your will, changing your desires. But he also begins to work to empower you so you can act. It's one thing to want to be different. It's another thing to be different. And the Holy Spirit not only gives you the will, but he gives you the power to act. So, 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 so you came to Jesus, he has a purpose for your life, God is actively working in your life right now to achieve that purpose. Now, the third thing I want you to catch is that you have a very important part to play. That Paul says you have to work out your salvation. In other words, God is working in you, you have to work out what God is working in. Does that make sense? That God is changing desires. He's giving you vision. He's like, for example, in this series, I know for many of you that this whole paradigm of the presence has been mind-blowing for you. I know it's been like, wow, I never saw this story of the Bible. I think of God is pursuing me, the story of the presence. And one of the questions I asked in the journal is, do you ever hear a whisper in your soul calling you to something more? And I think if you're alive and you're a believer, the answer has to be yes. Like we may not remember it right that moment, but yes, that we, we sense that. We hunger for something more. And guess what? That's the Holy Spirit triggering that hunger in you. He's working in you to will that. But you have to act on that. The Holy Spirit, for example, we talk about a rhythm of relationship. The Holy Spirit's not going to read your Bible for you. Your phone might, 
but not the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit's not going to set your alarm. Are you with me? <laughs> it's like, saying, oh, just wake me up. Hey, if you have a track record of that, awesome. The Lord just wakes you up, great, awesome. But if you're new at this, uh, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Uh, but uh, but you, you've got to set your own alarm, right? The Holy Spirit's not gonna turn off the TV for you. Boom, the whole thing goes dead. I told you it was time to spend time. You weren't listening. You, know, you couldn't seem to get that remote until I'm just gonna blow up the TV, you know? All right, yeah. Hey, don't even try the cable company. Trust me, it's not gonna work. It's like this thing is dead at the roots. Uh, no, yeah, like, the Holy Spirit is going to will, he's gonna put his will, but we have to respond. That's what we call listen and follow here, right? And so what I want you to catch is that spiritual growth, spiritual transformation, God is a vision, it's not automatic. We have to listen and follow, we have to train. Number two, the second principle is that training requires a training plan. Like, can you imagine going to the gym, you, you sign up for the gym, and you, uh, you tell them, hey, I want to get a personal trainer. They go, oh, great, we've got a list of here. Just pick one of these people. Oh, great, I'll pick this person. So you show up the first day, and uh, you pick the guy. And so he's like, uh, so what do you want to do? It's like, well, I want to lose some weight. Uh, I want to get in shape. I want to be healthy. I want to eat better. It's like, awesome, great. Um, so when do you want to come in? Oh, I don't know. I thought you might help. No, no, I don't want to interfere. You tell me when you want to come. Okay, well, all right. So uh, what do you want to do when you get here? You feel like weights? You feel like cardio? Uh, yeah, I don't really like cardio. Yeah, I know, it's a pain. Let's skip that. Uh, like, if that's your trainer, you're going to fire that trainer, right? Like, a trainer is going to come, and they're going to ask you, hey, what's your goal? Well, I want, here's what I, my goal is. Okay, great. I'm going to help you design a plan to get there. And so if you want to change, you have to have a plan. And it's the same spiritually. Now, here's the thing. Let's say that our goal is to be transformed to become like Jesus, live out an epic life. That's our goal, right? We agree on that. Okay, so what's our plan? Well, the good news is for many of you here, not all of you, some of you are slacking, but, uh, <laughs> but many of you here, you've got a good, like some good pieces of a plan in place, right? So for example, there's a lot of you here that you come to church regularly. And if it's not just for the donuts, uh, <laughs> And you're really coming, you're not just checking off, you're really coming to pursue God. That's an important part of your plan, right? We talked about three legs of stool last week. That's huge. You come every week, you, you make it a priority, you schedule your life around, you come, you learn, you're hungry to grow, you're gonna read your Bible, you're gonna listen, you're gonna enter into worship. Uh, God, what are you saying to me? You're taking notes. I mean, that's a great part of a training plan. Good job, you're already, you're already on your way, right? A lot of us here, probably most of us here, are in a life group. And if you go and you actually do your study and you participate and you're really, uh, you're all in, that's awesome. That's the second leg. You're, that's a great part of a training plan. You're on track. But this is third area of spending time with God one-on-one -on -one that for many of us has never just become a part of our rhythm. And here's the thing. If you want to be transformed, you need all three parts, right? We talked about that last week. And so uh, just think of it like in physical terms. Like if you're gonna be an athlete competing, you're gonna have to work on your cardio, aren't you? And you're gonna have to work on your weight training. And you're gonna have to work maybe on speed, on speed drills. And they're all important and they're all synergistically important. If you wanna compete, then you have to have a well-balanced uh, training program, same spiritually. So uh, here's the thing, <clears throat> having the difference 
of a plan versus not having a plan has huge difference in our life. Uh, let me give you an illustration. Um, <coughs> last week in my life group, one of the questions that we went over was, uh, have there been times in your, in your life where you have spent regular time with Jesus, kind of one-on-one, and then there's times when you haven't spent time, and so how would you describe that time? Like, what's the difference? And it's really interesting, because I didn't know what their answer was gonna be, but as I listened to people, it blew me away. As people reflected on that and said, here's the difference, I mean, it was like huge difference. What was really odd for all of us was I think that no one had ever asked the question of them before. So it was like kind of mind-boggling. It's like, you know, like when you never put two and two together, you just don't realize. And so it's like we know that life is better when we are than when it isn't, but we've never really thought that through what are the implications. And so as they began answering this question and sharing, it was profound. It was like really different. Let me give an example from uh, your own lives. Uh, Most of us here went through the rooted study that we just finished from our last life group session. And so many of you told me that uh, Rooted was just a powerful experience in your life, very life transforming, very powerful, right? And so we tend to attribute that to the amazing curriculum, like it's written so well and such great topics and great questions. And don't get me wrong, I think I'm a big fan of Rooted, as you know, I think it's fantastic uh, material. But here's the thing, I think we often tend to attribute our growth to Rooted, when the reality is much of our growth was a result of training. See, the reality is that rooted requires you to train. You just don't realize it. Like, let's think through the training program of rooted. So rooted says, okay, so first of all, you're gonna spend some one-on-one time with God. We're gonna spend 15 to 30 minutes a day. We're gonna spend some time in the word, some prayer, and then journaling, right? And we're gonna memorize some scripture during that time. Now, uh, 15 minutes, let's say you're on the low end of that. 15 minutes is not a lot of time of training, is it? Like that's 75 minutes a week. So an hour and, an hour and 15 minutes for God a week, you know? Eh, not so big. But it is amazing what just a little bit of training will do. What's crazy is that if you haven't exercised in a long time, you've probably experienced it. You just go out and just do a little bit of exercise. It is amazing what a difference it makes in your life. Like, for example, you just go walking a little bit. You just jog a little bit. Just lift a few light weights, and, and two weeks later, you're gonna be so much more toned up. You're like, I feel so much better. And it's like, it hardly did anything, but it really made a difference. And same spiritually. So even with a small amount of investment, 15 to 30 minutes, probably not a lot, but you know, it made a big difference, right? And so that, was, that started, you know, we, we have this Pursuing God 101. Then we came to a life group. And in our life group, more than ever before, Rooted requires to be vulnerable, didn't it? It required us to share our stories and to share our stories in two minutes, or my group, we cheated four, but anyway, uh, to share our stories, um, you had to reflect on your life and what God has done in your life and critical turning points in your life. And as you did that, as you reflected and journaled on your life, guess what? You began to see, oh, I see God's hand on my life. I do have a story. God's at work. And then we came and we shared our stories and we shared very vulnerably, in fact, we even shared areas of spiritual stronghold. And we shared, you know, in James it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for it that you'll be healed. And that's what we did. We, we shared, here's my stronghold, here's why I'm struggling. And we confess sin and we renounce sin. 
And then on top of that, we studied our gifts and we affirmed each other. What, what gifts do we have and how can we see each other and we encourage each other in our gifts? And then we didn't just meet together every week, but we actually met, we, we fasted and prayed for a day and we, we got out for four hours together. We, we had the time of fasting and prayer and discussion and then we went and served together. That's a pretty powerful training regimen. So we got that second leg going. We had the pursuing God one-on-one. And then we'd come on the weekend services and we would worship God together and we'd teach on the same topic, unpacking the word. That is a pretty comprehensive training program, isn't it? And guess what? It worked. We grew. People are like, this is crazy. This is so powerful. Yes, it's amazing what training will do. You see? And so we tend to go that rooted thing. It was crazy. It's like, well, wait, hey, if you spend time with God every day, you are open to his word every day, you journal every day, you come to your group, you share honestly, you confess sin, you renounce sin, you memorize scripture, you affirm gifts, you discover gifts, you fast and pray, and you serve together, and you come to church and you worship and hear the word, guess what? You're gonna grow, right? Are, are you with me? We tend to go this amazing thing. Hey, the amazing thing is that we were training. And it works. And so the whole reason for this series is to say, all right, Rooted was awesome. Let's do our own series five days a week. We'll kind of keep that going. But the goal of this series is to get us to a place when we get to June and we're done, you have the tools you need. You know how to read the word on your own. You know how to pray on your own. You know how to journal. You have the resources. So now it prepares you for a lifetime of training. And so this week, what we're helping you do is to think through a plan, to come up with a training plan. And I want to encourage you to take it seriously. Spend some time. Think, answer the questions. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. You know, no two plans will be the same. You know that, right? Like I shared in the journal, uh, a young single mom and a retired college professor, the Holy Spirit's not going to have the same plan for them. The Holy Spirit's not even going to have the same plan for me over the course of my life. Right, it's gonna change, different seasons, he's gonna call you to different things. Holy Spirit is a great trainer. And so, but the, this week I say, Holy Spirit, I wanna design a plan right now, would you help me think through my life? Where's the best time, what should I do, when we're gonna do it, how long is it gonna be, give me some direction, and listen, and be open to what the Holy Spirit says. So, so training, uh, transformation requires training, but it, training requires a training plan. That leads to number three. Number three is that a training plan requires motivation. So here's the fun part of training, like working out. Here's the fun part. Going to the gym and seeing all the cool equipment. Really fun. That's so awesome. Look at, they've got this juice bar. That's great. Uh, they got really good. They got, oh, good child care. I like that. I love that. You know, new machines. That's great. Oh, and then it's really fun to go out and buy your exercise clothes, right? Because you, you got to fit in. Right, so that's really, oh, it's fun. And then getting that trainer, that's super good. You know, and and uh, you know, put it on automatic, uh, automatic withdrawal. You don't even notice, notice money being gone, right? So it's all fun. And, uh, and so then you get there and you meet your trainer and they're so enthusiastic and they're excited and they're gonna help you. And, and they come up with this awesome plan, your life's gonna change, all really fun. But the plan doesn't change your life. Working the plan changes your life. And so, that requires motivation, doesn't it? Do you know, I did research for this journal thing, do you know that every January, 
We got, what, hundreds and thousands of people in our country signing for a gym. You know that by February, a huge portion's gone. And did you know by May, according to some research, by May, 80% of people will never go again. <laughs> they started, they were excited. Man, we got automatic withdrawals. I've got my new duds. I'm gonna look, they don't look so good now, but give me a few months, uh, right? And so it's one thing to start a change, it's another thing to work a plan. And so the question is, where does that motivation come from? And here's what I'd say. First of all, it comes from the Holy Spirit. We've already seen that the Holy Spirit's working in us for his good purpose. He's already giving us a desire. I know for many of you, I've, I've heard, I've talked to many of you, emails from like many of you, that God is awakening. The story of the presence has been very compelling. And this idea that God is pursuing me, am I pursuing him? And for many of us, waking up like, wow, I need to respond. How am I pursuing God? And so the Holy Spirit, is, he's shaping you. He's, 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 uh, he's provided a place. He's provided the teaching. He's provided the study. He's awakening you to, I want to pursue God. I want to be a true worshiper. I want to know him in spirit and truth. I want to be one of those worshipers. So the Holy Spirit is stirring that in you. That's where it starts. But often we need to respond to that stirring by reflecting on that stirring. And we need to spend some time asking the most important question of the change process. And that most important question of the change process is the question, why? Why do I want to change? And this is so critical, and often, of course, we answer this on some level. Like, for example, on a natural level, hey, why do you want to get in shape? Well, I, I, want, to, I want to be healthier, um, I, I want to fit in my clothes again, um, I want, you know, whatever the thing is, right? So we have some level, but can I tell you something? Obviously, that level of answer is not very compelling when 80% stop in five months. They've answered the question at one level, but they've really not gone deeper and said, no, why? See, here's the thing. If you want to change, you need to keep asking the question why until your answer meets two criteria. Until you get to the place where your answer is both radically honest and deeply compelling. That's the combination you need. You can't give someone else's answer. You can't give the right answer. You can't give a, it's gotta be your answer, it's gotta be, it's gotta be uh, radically honest. And it's also gotta be deeply compelling, something that moves you emotionally, something that really matters to you. Let me, so let me give you an example. Um, a couple years ago, I felt like the Holy Spirit was calling me to get away for a few days and to think through my life. And there's reasons why at this time, but I won't have time for that. But uh, so in the fall, uh, I felt like he was calling me to do this. And so uh, in the, the week between Christmas and New Year's, I wanted to get away for about three days just to think through my life. Right? So uh, I rode my motorcycle, but I stayed on asphalt, so it worked out okay. Uh, and I, I, uh, I rode to San Luis Obispo. I love that town. And I got an Airbnb room there and a house there. And for three days, two or three days, I guess two full days, I just spent time thinking through my life. Now here's what I was doing. I had, I'd come across a guy that was very helpful to me. His name's Michael Hyatt. Michael used to be the, um, the CEO of Thomas Nelson, um, publisher, huge publisher. Uh, he's a believer. Um, and then about 10 years ago, I think it was, he kind of branched off doing his own thing, but he just podcasts and he writes and things like that. And so 
Um, he, he was uh, kind of introduced in this process of getting away, and, and the goal is to get away and to think through your life in like eight or nine categories, right? So like your spiritual life, uh, your family life, um, your career life, your finances, your health. There's like eight or nine areas. And to think through, and just to think through, and to come up with what he would call a life plan. Okay? So um, this is not like, uh, hey, if I can visualize it, I can attain it. It's not like that. It's just like to think through, hey, in these, these eight or nine area, very important areas of life, where do I want to be and where do I want to be like uh, not just now but like five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years, 25 years from now. And so Michael introduced me to a very powerful principle is that whenever you want to make a change in your life, you need to start with the end in mind. Okay. So in other words, um, when you say, hey, I want to change your life, it's like, well, you need to start at the end of the story. Where do I want to be? Like, say, in my relationship with my family, where do I want to be in 25 years? Right. And so uh, I spent like two or three days with that. Uh, very helpful. And, he, and so he said, you know, think long term, start there. And then once you're really clear on what you want to achieve or what you, your goal is, you can begin to backward engineer this and come back and say, what do I need to do today to be there in five years or 10 years? And this just kind of makes sense, right? It's kind of obvious. And, um, and so I did that. And it was very compelling for me. Um, so let me give you an example, just one area of my life. So if you were to ask me, like, what is one of your top priorities in life? I would say my family, right? My relationship with Lynn, my relationship with my daughters, with son-in-laws, with my grandkids, with my mom. These are like top priority for me, very high priority. And so um, let's, let's take that area. So it's like, let's start with the end in mind. So where do you want to be in 25 years, 20 years, and so on? And you start thinking down the right. And so this has forced me, okay, I'm thinking of my granddaughters that are now young, but they're now adults. What kind of relationship do I want with them then? Uh, you know, and what do I have to do now? And to begin to think through that, what with my relationship with my wife? What kind of relationship do I want with my wife? Where do I want to see that in five years, 10 years, 15 years? And just begin to think through what that would look like and then maybe say, what are the steps I need to do now? And I'm telling you, and here's what he taught me to do, which was so helpful. The, the thing was, uh, he taught me, like, you need to ask, once you've come up with your plan, you need to ask, what will life be like if I carry out this plan? But then here was a really powerful for one for me. What will my life be like if I don't? Have you noticed that life is fairly busy? Have you noticed that life has a way of just swallowing up our goals? Like it's one thing to say, hey, my family's important to me. But I'm telling you, I'm one busy guy. And it's really easy to look up and I haven't called my mom or I haven't seen my daughter and son-in-law in San Diego, or it's like, it just hasn't happened. And so as I was up there a couple years ago, I began to say, so what does this look like? And I think that's a great example, taking my daughter and my son-in-law down there and their, their children, um, that they live uh, over two hours away. Uh, I never have two days off in a row because of what I do. And so it's very difficult to travel two and a half hours away see people and travel back in the same, so it's very difficult just to make this thing happen. And so if I'm not highly intentional about this, you know what's gonna happen? My granddaughters are gonna grow up without a relationship with me and vice versa, and I'm gonna lose uh, the opportunity for the most important thing in their life, which is to have an eternal impact on them for walking with Jesus, right? And so for me, it's like I had to think through, so what would that look like 
to be able to have impact on their life and to connect relationally with my daughter. And so, and so I came up with this, you know, this, I think it would have to happen about this amount of times in a year. Like every, this amount of weeks, I think this would happen. And that's not easy to have happen. But I've, but I've thought it through, and it's like, what do you want? This is what I want. What's it gonna take? This is what it's gonna take. I can journal it down, and now I can come back to it throughout the year and say, did you change your mind on that? Is that no longer a priority? Do you think that's unrealistic? Anything you need to adjust? No, I think it's good. And you know what it does? Because it's so clear and it's in writing. Here's, what's life, here's what my life will be like if I do it. And I can describe the relationships I'll have. And here's what my life will be like if I don't do it. I will describe that. And here's what it's gonna take to do it. And here's my next action steps. Because it's so clear, I can come back to that time and time again throughout the year and review that and say, am I on track? And because it's, because it's radically honest and deeply compelling, catch this, I can say no to other things. People, can you come and speak at this event? Can you come do this? Can you come do that? No, I would love to do that. That is an honor to be asked to do that. But I cannot do that because my priority is my family. You see? And I want to have impact on them and I want to love them well and I want to build a relationship and that's more important to me than anything else that my wife and I are close, that my, I'm a good son to my mother, that I'm a good uh, grandfather to the kids, I'm a good father to my, that is more important to me than other things. So no, I cannot do those things because I've taken the time to think it through and write it down and it's in my face I can review that. Are you with me on this? Okay, so here's what I'm gonna say. If your plan right now is to develop a regular rhythm of relationship with God, and here are your top three answers. I wanna get closer to the Lord. I wanna learn my Bible more. I wanna learn, I wanna spend some more time in prayer. If that's your top three answers, I can guarantee you, you will fail. Because those answers are not radically honest and they're not deeply compelling. We would all say that. That's the equivalent of like, how many would like to lose five pounds in this room? Yeah, duh. Like, okay, great. How many will? Well, that's a different issue. Uh, can I have a little latitude, gain or lose? You know? Uh, right, so if, if we want to develop, uh, develop a, a, a rhythm of relationship, we have got to go deeper. And we have got, here's the question you have to ask. What will your life be like in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20? What will it be like if you do develop this? And what will it be like if you don't? And I'm telling you, as I was talking with my life group about this, and we were reflecting on this, and no one had ever asked that question, and so they're reflecting on the difference between their life. And one of the young women in my group said, this question of what would my life be like if I don't do this, this one was one that nailed me and terrified me. Because I realize if I don't do this, I will not be growing. And the, the ripple effect of that over 5, 10, 15, 20 years is huge. You watch people. You watch them. They start off. They get married. They're in love. Then they start just getting busy with life. They don't really pursue Jesus much. And all of a sudden, at 45, they're getting a divorce, and their family is blowing up. And you say, why did that happen? It happened because for 20 years, they've not been pursuing God. 
If they've been pursuing God for 20 years, guess what? The Holy Spirit will be speaking. They could be listening. They could be adapting. They could be changing. Their character would be growing. They would be thriving in their marriage. But for 20 years, they've been too busy with other things, and they keep stepping one step away, one step away, until they can't even stand each other, and now they're getting a divorce, and it's like, hey, whoever saw that coming? Wow, what a big surprise. It's not a big surprise. It's as much surprise as a guy having a heart attack at 67 because his cholesterol's off the charts, and he's super overweight, and when he has a heart attack, you don't go like, well, that's really weird. Never saw that coming. You go, well, of course, when you're really overweight and your cholesterol's super high, that's what happens. You have heart attacks. This is not hard to figure it out. Are you with me? And spiritually, it's the same way. And as we explore this in our group, and people are saying like, wow, the long-term effect, the long-term effect of not spending this time, my life is so different when I am and when I'm not, I just never thought of the long term, kind of like, uh, like interest, you know, like compound interest in the bank, how it's just over a long time, it really adds up. And so what I wanna challenge you this week is I want you to think through, this week as you go through your plan, you're gonna, there's gonna walk you through a plan, to, and the very first question is why? And it will say, hey, we did this one a couple weeks ago. It'll tell you when we did it. Say, if you cheated on this, if you did not take this serious, you know, need to go back and find the answer why. Because if you don't have an answer, a great uh, answer to the question why, that's radically honest and deeply compelling, chances are you'll fail. And then your life is not gonna achieve the transformation and the epic vision God has because you are not working out what God is working in. Does that make sense? All right, so let's talk about, so, so why do we want to spend time with God? So in the, uh, the journal, uh, we talk about this, right? That why, why is it so important to develop a rhythm relationship? I gave you three of the top reasons for me. Uh, renewal, right? Those Lord restores me, renews me. Uh, he transforms us. Um, he, it leads to deep relationship. I think these are three big picture for every follower of Jesus, uh, they're, they're great wise. But I wanted to share one more today that I didn't have the chance to share in there just because of space. And it's there on your note sheet, there's a section called Pursuing God, the Power of Perspective. So uh, if you were to ask the Bible, hey, what is the key to living life well, the blessed life, the life lived under the blessing, life to the full, uh, one of the answers, the Bible will just answer that question in different ways, uh, just same answer, kind of different ways. But one of the ways it will say, pursue wisdom. The one of the answers is that the key to life is getting wisdom, which, um, which is, I would define wisdom as seeing life from God's point of view. Right? That's what wisdom, seeing life from God's point of view. How do you, you look at your marriage, your finances, your career, you see it from how God sees it. That's wisdom. So in Proverbs, <laughs> Solomon puts it like this, Proverbs 4. I like that, he's like, this is kind of like wisdom for dummies type of verse, right? Uh, so it's like the beginning of wisdom is what? Get wisdom. It's like, hey, Junior, sit down here. Let me talk to you. Uh, okay, his first step in wisdom, son. Uh, get wisdom. Uh, uh, Dad, could you spell that? Uh, and then look at this, though it costs you all you have, get 
what? Now, why? Why would Solomon say, hey, the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom, though it costs you all you, why would he say that? Because here's the thing, when you, when you have perspective on life, when you see it from God's point of view, it allows you to make great decisions. And that leads to a great life. Like if you're wise, when you get married, you'll choose a wise person. If you don't have wisdom, you may not. And think of the ramifications of that. When you raise children, if you have wisdom, you'll know how to raise them with that beautiful balance of discipline and love, the two key components. That means strong, strong discipline, strong love. If you don't have wisdom, you won't know that. If you have wisdom, you'll know how to approach your finances, and it'll lead to blessing. See, like there's nothing more valuable than wisdom. Without wisdom, you're up a creek without a paddle. You're like, which way do I go? Right? Like wisdom is so critical that Solomon says, whatever it costs you. Hey, what do you think's most important? Remember the five Ps last week? Do you think it's possessions? Do you think it's people? Do you think it's uh, pleasure? Do you think it's power? Do you think it's position? Like popularity? Like what? What do you think is most important, son? Whatever you think it is, it's not. Wisdom is more important, whatever. Look what he says next in the previous chapter. He said, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better return than gold. She's more precious than rubies and catches nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. This is why it's so cool. Uh, it leads to long life. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her ways are peace. And I love this. She is a tree of life to those who hold her. It, it will lead to life, life to the full. And those who hold her fast will be blessed. So, so he says, hey, get wisdom, right? So here's the thing. When you're living life at 90 miles an hour, it's very hard to get wisdom. In order to become a wise person, you need some time to disengage and reflect. If you don't, you just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. You know that definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and getting the same results? That's what we do. When you don't have time to reflect, you don't have time to listen to God's word, you don't have time to listen to the Holy Spirit, you don't have time to ask for his wisdom, what happens, you just keep on the same track. And there's no opportunity for mid-course corrections. And so, and for me in my life, you say, why is your rhythm of relationship so important to you? I'd say, number one, I wanna know him. I wanna love him. I wanna hear his voice. He drives me. He's a fuel in my tank. He, I, I wanna know God, right? I'd say, number two, I need to be renewed. Life is hard. I get worn down. I get discouraged. I need to be filled up. I need his, his, his uh, strength. I, I want to be transformed in my life. Without his wisdom, I cannot be transformed. But I would say, but one of the reasons that drives me the most is because I need wisdom in my life. I need perspective in my life. And I know I cannot get that anywhere else from the word and the spirit. I need that powerful connection of the Holy Spirit and the word working together to breathe life into my soul. I need his wisdom, I need his direction, I need his correction, I need his discipline, and if I don't have time alone with God, I will not have those things. 
and therefore I will get up early, I will stay up late, I'll get up in the middle of the night if that's what it requires because I thrive on that. I need that in my life. I believe if I can attain wisdom, it will impact every area of my life. All those eight areas I talked about, Wisdom will impact every area. I believe this one, this one habit of spending time with God will ripple out into my whole life. And I believe that. I believe with all my heart, that's why I do it. Now, we started the day with a story of this CEO being introduced um, in this huge ballroom, Manhattan, uh, places stacked you know, with, with investors and they can't wait to hear his, uh, his vision because they're very skeptical. And uh, when he gets up to speak, he looks the part, but as he opens his mouth, they're getting depressed. And uh, the reason is, <coughs> let me start filling in some details. The name of the company, some of you all have heard of it, is Alcoa Aluminum. Have you heard of that? Right. It's a famous company, one of the top 300 companies in in the United States, built in the 1800s. They make everything from the wrappers on Hershey's Kisses to parts for satellites to the Coke cans, right? But it's a very dangerous industry. You're heating up metal to 1,500 degrees, red-hot metal, and you're you know, then working with it with huge machines. And so that gives you some context. When he gets up, he says, here's my vision for the company. He says, my vision is to make Alcoa one of the safest companies for our workers in America. These are like investors. Work, safety, that's good, but we're talking profits here. And so he begins to talk about worker safety and how many days of work and that when they're not the worst in the industry and they're in the middle of the pack, but it's not good enough and people lose, lose time every day. He's going on and on. And they are getting more and more frustrated and more, and finally, he gets done, and it's time for some Q&A. Uh, Mr. O'Neill, good to meet you. Um, yeah, I'm just curious, one thing you didn't mention is the, the inventory in our aerospace division. Could you speak to that? Someone else asks, hey, I'm just curious about our capital ratios right now, what you're thinking about that. He stops and says, you're not paying attention. I'm telling you, my number one vision for this company is worker safety. If you want to know the health of our company, if you want to watch a dashboard indicator, you watch that. If our accident rate goes down, you know we're winning and we're going to, if we can create excellence in one area, that's going to impact everything. This is my priority. You're not getting it. By the time he got done, they're thinking, the board has gone crazy. They've hired an ex-hippie who's going to kill the company. That's why they rushed out that one guy that actually jogged out, remember it's 87, there's no cell phones. They, he jogs out to find the nearest cell phone to tell his top 20 investors, dump everything will go up before these other guys get to their people and the stock market plummets. He would later say the biggest mistake of his advising career. Because if you'd stayed with Alcoa, within one year, the net profits were the highest they'd ever been. If you'd stayed with him, he was with Alcoa for 12 years. If you stayed him with, for 12 years, by the end of uh, 12 years, the net profits would have gone up by five times. 
if you had invested a million dollars in Alcoa when Paul O'Neill took over, over the next 12 years, you would get a million dollars back in dividends and your stock would have multiplied by five times its value. And you're saying, how did he do that? Paul O'Neill was a big believer in the power of habits. He'd seen it work. He'd analyzed this in government, his government work. He'd seen it work in a wide variety of things. And he knew his job was to change the whole culture at Alcoa, which was huge. But to change the whole culture, he felt like he had to find one key habit they could change that would trigger a series of habits. He chose safety. And he chose well. Because this is what researchers will call a keystone habit. It's a habit either in our personal life or in a company. You change that one habit. It doesn't just change that one habit. It, change, it, it releases a chain reaction of habits. And so here's what happened. When he started with his company, not even Alcoa believed he was serious. No one thought he could be serious with this. And so for the first six months, no one took him seriously. And then at six months in, there was a tragic accident. It happened at their plant in one of their plants. They have, of course, international company plants over the world. Their Arizona plant, there was a tragic accident. A young man in his young 20s, only been working there about five weeks, pregnant wife. He had just gotten the job. He just wanted to make sure he did a good job. And so he was working on this huge uh, aluminum um, press, and uh, it got jammed. And so he jumped over the safety barrier, he walked through the pit, pulled the piece of aluminum out of the press. What he didn't realize, once he did that, it reactivated the machine. And the huge swing arm came into place, came down, crushed his head, killed him. Paul O'Neill back in Pittsburgh was devastated. He called the, the manager of that plant and they said, we're having a meeting here tomorrow. I want every manager from this plant here tomorrow, no exceptions. 14 hours later, they were having a meeting with his top brass and these people. And he started the meeting by saying this, we killed a man last night. He says, it's a failure of my leadership. And it's a failure of your leadership in the chain of command. And we are not leaving today until we figure out why this happened. We're gonna do an autopsy if it takes all day. It never can happen again. And everyone in the room was shocked because they're, they're used to working in a very dangerous industry. Yes, it's tragic, but it's part of the price you pay for working in Alcoa. It just happens. But he was sending a, a shot over the bow no longer. That's no longer the way we, we work around here. They spent all day, they discovered dozens of safety violations that had led to that in addition to the young man going over. When they came out of that, it was a new day for Alcoa. He put his, his stake in the ground. Within one week, every safety area in every plant around the world had been repainted bright yellow. They, they instituted new policies. His new policy was if there's ever an injury in any plant day or night, that, that unit president has 24 hours to contact me personally on the phone to tell me what happened and how you are gonna make sure it never happens again. He began, after two weeks, he sent a memo out to everyone in Alcoa with these new policies and saying, this is our top priority, workers' safety. We will not have, continue to have workers injured. You see, Paul realized that he needed to come up with one area they could change that everyone could buy into. 
How can you not buy into worker safety? It's something, they, they were a despair. There was horrible communication. People didn't get along. Management and line workers didn't work. This was something they could all agree on. They sent that out two weeks after. He said, hey, we're winning. Our accident rate's going down. Good job. He wanted to reinforce that habit. He said, he, this beautiful memo about the, the, the value of our workers, the value of safety. We want everyone to go home safe at night. It touched the hearts of these workers throughout the world. Many of these people would put it up on their lockers, that memo. There was one man who, who drew a mural, painted a mural next to a, smelting, a smelter of Paul O'Neill with a quote from this thing. People began to come together and because now management, he told, man, he told the workers when he met with them, I will negotiate anything with you, but I will not negotiate your safety. That is a non-negotiable. And so he told them, if you have any management that is not dealing with a, a, a safety issue, here is my personal phone number. You can call me anytime, day or night at my home. I want to hear from you. And that day, that culture began to change. And you know what? Because they all had to work together, now the bosses started listening to the line people. And the communication began to change. And they began to call Paul O'Neill, not just with safety ideas, but with incredible productivity ideas that no one had been willing to listen to him before. And they came up with new product lines. And they, they uh, analyzed all their old processes to figure out why people were getting hurt. They had to take the whole organization apart and say, how do we do business? How do we do processes? And in the process, they discovered so many outmoded ways that increased and became one of the most streamlined organizations in that industry. And by the time he was done, not only at 12 years later, not only had they become so profitable, they were so safe. In fact, 10 years, 10 years after he stepped down, the culture of safety was so deep that it became safer to work at Alcoa than to be an accountant, a software engineer, or an animation studio. They would go, 80% of their plants would go an entire year without anyone missing a single day of work. Some of their plants would go three to four years at a time without a single injury. It became incredibly safe, but by changing that one habit, it had a ripple effect throughout. It changed communications. It, commu uh, it changed the way they, they uh, processed ideas, the way they related. Their whole culture was changed by focusing on one keystone habit. Now, you say, so why are you telling us? I believe that in the spiritual realm, developing a regular rhythm of relationship with God in our personal life, it is a spiritual keystone habit. It is not automatic. Just because you show up doesn't mean amazing, uh, amazing things are gonna happen just because you put in your time. We have to show up with a heart that's open to the Holy Spirit. We've gotta be willing to listen and follow. Father, I'm here. I wanna hear, is there anything in my life, that prayer of David, search me, oh God, and show me, is there any evil, wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting? Is there anything in my life, how to handle this situation, counsel me, show me, but I believe that this one habit will change our life because not only are we renewed, not only are we transformed, not only do we develop this deep relationship, but by spending time, we get wisdom. And when we get wisdom, it's a ripple effect, it's a keystone habit that ripples out into all our life and changes all our life. And so the, 
if you say, why do you, why for you personally, why is it's, it's uh, answer this radically honest and deeply compelling, why do you alter your life and build it around this time with God? I would say, yes, it's about renewal, and yes, it's about transformation, and yes, it's about a deep relationship with my creator, but it's also about perspective and wisdom I believe this one habit will change my whole life. That's my why. And the question you're going to answer this week is what is your why? Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, we come before you as your church and we just come under your leadership and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to listen well to what you're doing in our life, that you're working in us to will and to work for your good pleasure, for your purpose. And so we pray, God, that you would teach us how to listen and follow, to work out what you're working in. And this week, Lord, as we pray, as we pray, as we go through these exercises of designing a training plan, will you come alongside us? Will you shepherd us? Help us to answer those questions. Help us to discover reasons that are radically honest, that are deeply compelling, and the right plan for us at this stage and season in our life. We pray, Lord, that, that everything else would fall away from that. And so, Lord, we pray as we worship you now, as we bring our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, we pray you'd meet us in a powerful way. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Let's stand and worship.